0: Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Hey everybody, Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. And as we know, revenue can leak in, leak out all through different places that you might not think about. Today, we're going to tackle the subject of customer service, and in particular, in the banking industry. And with me today, I have two guests that I've only met in the last, I don't know, six or eight months. And I met them through Robin Hayes at PCBB, who took both of my podcast courses and said, hey, this is for us. We're going to do this. And so today I have the host of Banking Out Loud from PCBB, Virginia Robbins and Sonia Portwood. Welcome ladies, I'm so happy you're here.
1: Thank you so much. Great to be with you, Susan.
0: Hello, hello everybody. It's so great to have you here. I wanna get into a little bit about your, both your background in banking. We're gonna cover your show towards the end of this show. And that will lead us down this path folks of memory lane Customer service and banking, not just for business to consumer banking, you know, like our Chase branches, Capital One, all the ones that were around there. Back then, my memories go back to only B of A. That's about all I had. That was my option was B of A. And then evolving into where we are today, not only business to consumer banking, Virginia, you and I briefly touched on a recent mortgage refi experience Uh that I had. And also how you guys are supporting your clients, your banking clients better because you guys are B2B. You are supporting banks. And so I want to talk about how that has evolved and what you have implemented to address some of the challenges as more and more technology and curves get thrown our way. Does that sound like a great place to start? Sounds great. Sounds good. Okay, good. So some of you guys have seen me on video and you know, I am, I am not a 20, 30 something. I'm in my mid fifties. And my first experience with banking was Mary Stretz who lived across the street from me. She was about four foot eight. And she talked like this. She had the sweetest little voice. No matter what she said, everything sounded great. You have absolutely no money in your account. Ooh. And everything sounded great that she said and, and loving. And she was the teller at the bank that I could walk to. And so when I had my first $10 check given to me for a birthday, I opened a banking account when I was about nine and my mother had to co-sign for it because I was a child. We walked into the bank and we set it up and regularly for holidays and things, we would go through the drive-through teller, put the money in the tube and send it to Mary. And Mary would log it all in and send back my receipt. So that was my first experience with banking. That was my first experience with customer service. Somebody that knew me, my name, that knew everything about me, that would ask me questions about my family and knew my family. We've changed. Somewhere along my teens, ATMs came along. Such a wonderful concept, such a dangerous concept when you like to go to nightclubs and dance a lot and would take your waitress tips and do things. And so we would go to the ATM in the dark which was a very scary thing. You think I'm going there and people are going to get money from me and they're going to take my money. It was just an interesting concept. So fast forward to today. I'm wondering if you two can tell me what is your first experience with banking? And I mean, before you fell in love with it, knowing this was going to be your career. I mean, back just as a young woman, as a young teen. Sonia. Well, I can go back further.
2: (laughs) I guess my first experience with banking was going to make the deposit with my grandfather. Had a grocery store, and we would go through the drive through most often. And I knew the lady by name. She knew me by name. And I would get my dum-dum sucker. I love it. <laughs> and it was all about the sucker. And my grandfather showing me off to the ladies at the bank.
0: That's a great memory. So that was
2: that was banking for me. Yeah. That's how it all started.
1: <laughs>
0: Virginia, how about you?
1: Yeah, I, Sonia, I think I was about the same age. My, uh, you know, I had a passbook savings, You know, the actual books. And we would walk into the bank and we'd stand in line. And I'd go to uh, my friend's mother, who was the teller, who of course she knew me and I knew her. She would ask me how I was. She would take my $1. fifty in allowance. She would put it into my passbook savings. I'd earn three cents a, a year on interest. But I had my book and we would go home and my father would, would talk to me about budgeting and what was I going to do with my $10 and 12 cents? You know, what, How was I going to spend it? And what was I going to do with it? So that was my first experience with banking.
0: And look where we are now. Very few of us know our tellers. We don't know the banks. We don't <laughs> go to the banks. I don't have to mail anything either. It's all handled through my phone. It's so mm-hmm. rare but when it does come down to customer service, sometimes you do have to call. Sometimes you do have to email. And that experience has changed. I don't get a dum-dum you know, sucker anymore. And that's a terrible thing. I used to get little butterscotches from Mary Strets And I remember though that joy, but I don't think it's diminished the need to be seen and heard. I think that's the one thing customer service, it's a whole lot more convenient to a degree but the underlying purpose of customer service, I don't think has changed, even though it gets kind of shoved aside for the shiny technology and the speed. How do you feel about that? I think it depends on the situation.
2: I think there, there is a lot of financial transactions that can happen that do not require interaction. First, I just wanna say, depending on where you are in the United States, that model that Virginia and I spoke about is very much still alive and running, but not everywhere. And especially in the bigger communities. I just wanted to say that because I do go to small town America a couple of times a year and I find that it is still very much the case. But um, my philosophy was as a banker growing up was the advice I would give to younger people was know your banker. It was always know your banker so that you have someone to go to when you need something. If you need a loan or anything, if there's a problem, they need to know who you are before you have a problem, was always my belief and what I would teach younger people. I do have to admit that I don't necessarily agree with that anymore. I don't think it's as necessary as it used to be. And I think it's because most of the things that we do from a transaction standpoint today are so automated and run so smoothly that it's not as critical as it used to be in the past. So... To answer your question, I think it depends on the type tra- of transaction that you're talking about from a banking standpoint, as to how important it is to have that customer service or have an individual that you can speak with directly.
0: I agree, Virginia. What's your thought, Susan? I think
1: the question was: um, uh, it does a person does it matter to have a relationship with with your banker, or which tra- or and then Sonia, you've mentioned it, You know, is it transactional, or you know, how do we look right. at that? For a consumer, much of banking is about the regulations. And so I need to know nowadays the rules, where the rules are, how the rules work. In the old days, I would go ask somebody the rules, but today all that information is available online. So I I go look it up, I find out what the rules are, and I see whether or not my transaction fits or doesn't fit those rules. It is still a challenge. In some banks, even um, if the regulation, if I'm slightly outside of the regulation, that's a no-go, it doesn't matter who I talk to. Um, anyone I talk to will tell me they can't do it. So today on the consumer side, you, you've, you have to know the rules. You have to know where the rules are. You have to know where the regs are. You have to know where this transaction fits within the rules. Because in most cases on, as a consumer, there's no exception or there's uh, the exception is so expensive for the bank that they cannot process it as an expe- exception.
0: You bring up a really good point. So let's angle that over to more your business model where you are helping don't you guys specialize in community banks
1: that's right so we specialize Wait, in yeah we specialize in helping banks be more successful and competing with bigger banks and so here this is a b2b model and so on the b2b model it is all about the relationship and it's about finding out what our customers challenges are finding those cha- and finding the right solutions to those challenges and if we don't know it tell them who does So helping them out through that. And as I was a customer of PCBB before I joined PCBB. So I will tell you as a customer, I would call my relationship manager at PCBB all the time and say, okay, I got this problem, help me out with it. And he was great. He was absolutely fabulous in helping me be more efficient with my time and really solve my issues so I can concentrate on my customers. Um, So the relationship, when the relationship's there, it works really, really well.
0: Sonia, there's turnover in all businesses and there's turnover in these account relationship managers. And I've seen Mm -hmm. those handled well, those transitions, and I've seen people fall through the cracks. What does PCBB do when you guys, I mean, I'm sure not everybody's a lifer there. So people do change their jobs. They change their positions sometimes within the company, they move around. When you transition, what is the thing that you make sure is in place Or is it just all automated? Does somebody actually pick up the phone? Because you have actual banks you're talking to with people that need you to be their go-to person. What happens?
2: Well, I am happy to say that we've been really fortunate and that the turner that we have had has been to retirement. And we've been lucky enough to know in advance so that we could hire the replacement and allow enough time for the existing relationship manager to introduce the accounts to the new relationship manager so that there was a warm handoff and transition. That way the new relationship manager felt confident that he knew who his banks were and who he was going to be calling on and what their needs were and and how we'd been working with them in the past. And then that way the banks, our clients, knew exactly who they would be talking to And hopefully, if we've done our job well enough, feel comfortable with that transition before the existing relationship manager ever leaves. So to Virginia's point, customer service is critical for us, absolutely critical. Um, And most of the feedback that we get from our existing customers is when they're bragging on us, of course, is that we do an excellent job of picking up the phone and taking care of them. They know when they call us, they're gonna get the answer they need. They're gonna get the support they need. And we are a customer focused organization and that's critical to our business model.
0: What a wonderful thing though, to have said about you, that people feel like that about your company, that you don't have people just, you know, running with their arms flailing, picking other jobs. It's retirement that causes these transitions. And that's not what a lot of companies can say. So congratulations to the job that you're doing, obviously. So this might be a harder question than for you to answer. I know for me, I will get brave. I'm I'm a very small boutique agency, and I will get brave and ask my clients. I would say twice a year, how can I serve you better? Where is any disappointment that you might have? Where you, you know, and I'll, you know were you bummed out? Where did I let you down? How can, what would you have liked to have seen happen to open up those conversations? And I'm grateful for the clients that are honest enough to tell me, okay, this, when you did this one thing, man, you know, I know you made up for the rest of the time, but when that happened, this is how I felt. And when those types of things come up, those conversations are super important. So I'm guessing you all collect That type of information, I don't know whether it's direct, if it's through surveys, through follow up, you know, check the boxes. Here's a quick survey, three questions when you're done with this after a transaction. How does that data get routed around and incorporated?
2: Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. We're actually in the process of doing new surveys at the product level, not at the organization level, though we are asking about the organization as a whole. It's more focused on customers or specific products. And if we do ask how we're doing, and what, if there is, uh, the marketing team compiles this information, and the first one of the first things they do is if there is something that comes up that looks like someone is not happy, or just anything that would appear that someone was not completely satisfied with us in every way possible, they would immediately contact me, which has happened. And then I would immediately contact the relationship manager and any other parties that were involved in that and have a conversation about it. And we, of course, reach out to the customer to see what we can do to rectify that situation. Um, You made a comment and I'm I wanna reiterate that to me because I've been in sales for a very long time. And I think the best thing you can do is have a customer that tells you the truth because then you have the opportunity to make it better and turn them around. Whereas if they don't, they'll just take their business elsewhere and you'll never know about it. So I come from the school of thank you for telling me the truth. And if there was a problem, if we did something wrong, if we can turn that around, I found situations where they're
0: a customer for life. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think it's a huge opportunity. It is. It takes a little extra time. And to mm-hmm. three. it takes being kind of brave because especially when you know you've blown it, you don't want to ask the question. Because <laughs> you already know what you did wrong. So I would say when you blow it, that's when you
1: got to be in your customer's face. Yes. We had a recent situation where we found an error in a report. We self-identified it uh the client hadn't discovered it yet and so we had an option we could fix it and not tell them or and we what we elected to do was to tell them quickly tell them we were on it tell them they didn't have to worry about it give them an eta and we were following up with them uh, until it's fixed and so that's the you don't have to worry about it because we're looking at it kind of mentality
0: i've worked with clients and i will say worked in the past because once i realized that they came from a place of Oh, nobody noticed that. Shut up. Don't say anything. Sorry. I can't work with <laughs> yeah. you anymore. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. Because whether I make the mistake or the mistake is there and it affects your customer, we've got to address it head on. I agree 100% with you, Virginia. I have to always remember to be, you know, not brave, but remind my team too. just tell us. Okay. Because just- it happens and then we get better at it. We don't do it again. You know, whether it's a typo in a post, whether it's a bad link, whatever it is, you know, in our world, it isn't a financial disaster, but it's an inconvenience and it can be an embarrassment.
1: Right, you know, mistakes happen. You work to one, minimize them. You create a culture where it's, you want them uh, stated. As soon as they're discovered, you want them escalated. So they're known and understood. And then you want them permanently solved. So, you know, you take care of those two things. And then ideally when Sonia then does the survey, it's positive. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> we just recently watched the timmy failure movie timmy failure books by Stephen pastis and the line that timmy failure says all the time is mistakes were made and towards the end of the movie he finally learned to also say i'm sorry i made a mistake yep he transitioned it and he's a child but i still see adults doing the same thing and it they just need to get to that transition
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes
2: there are situations that come up and that's all you can do is say I'm sorry. Right. And because you, what am I going to do
1: about it? You, you can't do any the, the time the window has passed, you can't change the transaction, you can't do anything else. You the best thing you can do is exactly that. Say I'm sorry and how do I remediate? So
0: and I also know too, the I'm sorry, sometimes it's not something you directly did, something it's nothing in your control. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote a children's book years ago called Dino Manners. And it was about dinosaurs doing things and having bad manners. And one of them was a big one stepped on a little one's toe. She didn't mean to, but she had to say, I'm sorry, because it wasn't intentional, but you're still so sorry that your friend had pain. Mm-hmm. sorry your client had something bad. Sorry is different. And I think sometimes people, especially in customer service, confuse it with, it's all my fault. Blame me. Mm-hmm. Rather than the empathetic approach to the apology, the sorry, the it's, I'm in there with you, let me help you solve it. And I think that that comes for some of us from growing up, you know, getting in trouble. If you admit something, oh my gosh, I'm going to get punished. And that's a fear thing. And when people train their customer service teams, they need to make it a safe place for them to admit or to say, I'm sorry and to diffuse, you know, the ones you call them. I call customer service people all the time. And there there's some that I got off the phone, it's like, man, she's good. She diffused me, she kept me calm. He walked me through it, whatever it was. And those are the stars. And I'll end up, you know, going back and rating them and things for that exact quality. I, I think that's such a beautiful skill. And it sounds like your whole company has that skill. Oh, yes,
2: everybody is absolutely perfect
0: with it. We aspire, we aspire. (laughs) That's right. Constant
1: improvement, constant improvement.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Before you got here, Sonia, Virginia and I were talking briefly about a recent refi I just completed for our house through a credit union. I have used this credit union for 20 years, 25 years. And they have had our mortgages, our cars, you know, our banking needs, all these different pieces, PPP loans now, you know, you name it. And the mortgage refi took seven months and it was pretty frustrating. And I, we got so many vague emails and the people I would talk to were so kind and so sweet and so supportive and doing what they could. And yet it wasn't solving my issue of getting these vague emails that went to nowhere. And the first thing as a consumer that a lot of us do sometimes, and you notice that, Virginia, point a finger. That's that the data people, those nerds that are making all this programming aren't testing anything. And so it's terrible. And it's all their fault. And Virginia reminded me, okay, that's not quite where we're at. And sometimes you need to look at it. And we talked about those programming people. Part of it is there's just this disconnect between those that are receiving the customer service calls and and the customer, they're way over here, the people that programmed it, the whole is who tested it, right? Who tested the journey? And it's not the people that wrote it, they did what they were told to do, make it to this without anybody thinking, and then what? And then what happens? And when they get that, well, what if that happens? So this seven month loan, part of the reason it took so long, and I could see it, is all the phone calls the loan officers were getting from everybody getting vague emails, not knowing where things were or what they were supposed to do. And that time wasted. And I kept addressing that. The time wasted for them and for me could have been solved way back here. Right. What do you advise your smaller banks that you work with, the community banks, the ones we it's still about the dum-dums, how do you address those types of needs for them on that process, which is so automated now and out of their hands and things just get uploaded into the cloud and uploaded here rather than come on in and do a signing, which I'm sure happens at the end still in the small banks, but mm-hmm. so much cannot be done that way anymore whenever possible for security reasons, for speed, for everything. How do you advise them to stay on par with these larger companies and banks like the Chases and the, Federal, the Navy Federals and all those that have a bigger group and still have to meet those same needs and goals?
2: I would uh, say the key has got to be always communication. They need to have, uh, we're talking about the frontline staff, right? The customer service team. They have got to have a means of communicating with the back office, whoever that may be whether that be IT, whether that be programming. They need to be able to communicate what's happening. What are the repeat phone calls? What are the repeat problems that they're hearing back to someone that can affect change within the organization? So there's got to be a bridge. And I think that you either have that bridge through technology or you have it through human contact. But if we're speaking to someone that's in a customer service role, I would say, go to your manager, go to your supervisor, and tell them that they need to formulate a way that they can communicate back to the organization with their learning from the front line so that they can improve upon the customer service they're providing to their clients.
1: Sonia, I completely agree that if I'm in, if I'm sort of in the bottom up, that would be the approach. I, I am, we've done to understand our flows uh, customer journey mappings. So where does the item go from one to two to three people? How can we cut that down? What are the number of emails that are going back and forth? How can we improve that information? Um, The smoother the customer journey the less the exceptions, the further the exceptions, the less the other issues that come up from it. So where and how often can you look at the customer journey to ensure that the mapping of that journey is what you like? And then when you get that exception data, where does it come up? Where's the part that you thought was clear as day that turns out to be clear as mud that just Your customers just aren't answering the question the way you expected them to. So then how do you then go back and and incorporate that information to refine that journey? And again, work on that continuous improvement of what's better, what's faster, what's easier, what's more streamlined. There's a group of exceptions here. How do I manage that and move through that? Um, But you can't do that customer journey if you're not getting that information from the front line. Um, You're just mapping it out with your assumptions of how your customers react to it. And so the feedback has to be there in order for that top-down customer journey exercise to be correct. We've done a couple of customer journey mappings at PCBB. Mm -hmm. And prior to PCBB uh, at a startup bank I was with, we also designed the products with customers with us Mm -hmm. so that the customer mappings would reflect how the customers actually worked in their workflow and move that through. So you can design the workflow to do that as you take these parts in from different providers and different, different systems or different IT release schedules and bring them into the, the process as well. Having said that, there's lots of mappings that I thought were brilliant that we've put <laughs> to the test that have gotten a lot of feedback uh, from customer service folks. And so um, it does fall into uh, what you think might be what people do isn't exactly what people do. That's people incredible. are great and they're oh, wonderful and, and they're dynamic and they're never they're never the same.
0: And they break things and they, we need to, and and I always like to have people that have no idea the thoughts behind anything I created for them to test it. Right. Because they will find how to break it. And I want them to break it. I want them to type weird things in. I want them to try and skip things. And I can't do that if I'm thinking that myself, because so much of it's ingrained in my head, the plan. Mm -hmm. So I make assumptions. I skip things. I'll not do something. Because like, why would I do that? But a regular everyday person will. And I think it's a helpful thing, even if you found almost, you know, not really a focus group, but the same concept where you can handpick a few diverse kind of people with experiences and knowledge and tech experience, have them kick the tires, folks, get them a lunch, send them a gift card on Amazon for kicking the tires for you. Their time is valuable. Show them that do that because you might get the most helpful information by having somebody totally outside your organization test it and kick the tires i always have my girlfriends that only listen to murder mystery podcasts go test websites for me and i'll give them a lunch gift card or for the brew pub down the street i don't care it's like can you guys go spend an hour and go kick the tires here this is what i want you to do and i've fixed more things and avoided a lot of disasters by doing
2: that one thing on a, on a website that we've talked about in marketing is that if someone's completing a form or applying for a loan as it was in your case you never want your customer to take an action that they don't know what's next for them yes
0: oh, great point.
2: they need to know what's next and what they should expect next and how long it's going to take so it's setting the customer's expectation along the way is I think very good advice as well
0: I think that's great advice. And it's one of those things that people can go review their process and what we were just talking about. Walk through it. And walk through it a couple times a year at least to see if best practices have changed, if people's habits have changed, if something's happened in the world that has changed how we do things suddenly. What are they seeing in each of those steps? And do they still need to, you know, think about in a few months as some of the COVID restrictions lift everybody's websites that have all these pronounced procedures and stuff, remembering to go back, update that, change it if you need to, remove it if you want to. But going back and reviewing those processes periodically, I I think also helps us to avoid customer frustration and also appearing as if we never review our process. Like, oh, that's so 2020. I want to thank you both. You've given people some good things to look at, not just in banking, just the whole customer service experience in general. What people need to do, review, ask those hard questions, incorporate those questions and those answers that you get into however you want to improve your customer service process. And when you are transitioning, we learned Sonia from you, make it a warm transition to another rep to another account supervisor, whoever it is, so that the client does not feel forgotten or left behind or ignored. We never want them to feel ignored. Do you have any other advice, parting advice before we close out this episode? I would just say put your, always put yourself in your customer's shoes. If you look at it from your customer, that's
2: the customer journey that Virginia was talking about. If you're looking at everything that you do from your customer standpoint, like you were the customer, it becomes pretty obvious.
1: Yeah, and I would just reiterate, be brave. I I loved what you said there, Susan. The customer that just left you, pick up the phone and find out why. Be brave. The only thing you're gonna learn is how to be better.
0: Great advice. And I had a funny incident recently. I launched a website for somebody and I was told things didn't work. And I didn't think to look on a tablet sideways using edge. Uh, what a combo! Hadn't thought about that combo. <laughs> so again, to your point, Sonia, put yourself in the customer's shoes, and they might not be shoes that fit you, but you still got to try them on and see how they are seeing things. I want to thank you both so much, and I want everybody to listen to their podcast, Banking Out Loud. Tell everybody how to find you both, and let's get them listening, and subscribing to your podcast. This has been Susan Finch, your host for Rooted in Revenue, and my guests, Virginia Robbins and Sonia Portwood from PCBB. How can we find your show? You can go to www.pcbb.com and look for the link that will be on our homepage. For your podcast. And your podcast URL is bankingoutloud.com? It is. All right. We are so glad that you can make it. I can't wait till your next episodes. I learned from your last one. And I am looking forward to your next installment. So thank you so much for being a guest today on Rooted in Revenue. You can find us at rootedinrevenue.com. We're part of the Funnel Radio Network, funnelradio.com as well. And you can see all the shows. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast venues. Thank you so much.